So let me just uh, read to you Philip, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 16. I believe that Pastor Caroline has touched on this passage, I think, uh, last year. And you can refer back again on our YouTube channel. But this morning, I want to give you some points on compelling community. That's the title of my sermon. I want to read to you the 16 verses at one go first, and then I'll give you four points. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were caught to one hope when you were caught. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended in is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, and that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Many years ago, I read of a tiny little book called Life Together. It is by the German theologian and martyr uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It is part of my uh, a class in Bible college that I have to do ethics. And one of the books we have to read is Life Together. It's only a tiny little book, but it is filled with gem about life together as a believers. And Bonhoeffer, uh, true to his, his insightful manner in writing, he says this thing. He says that true community is not formed as I try to realize my ideal, my dream but rather as I appreciate and give thanks for the reality that has already been established in Jesus, where I am united to different brothers and sisters for whom Christ died. He says that once we understand that we have been given 
and what we have automatically entered when we trusted in Jesus, we enter into that common life, not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. And then he goes on to say, the more thankfully we daily receive what is given to us, and that is the reality of the Christian community to which I belong, the more surely and steadily will fellowship increase and grow from day to day as Christ, as God pleases. In short, what Bonhoeffer is saying is that the person who is in love with the vision of their community will destroy community. So if you come in a community, you have a vision of what this community is going to be, and you do every mind and list down what are the 10 things you've got to do. He said, it is the very thing that you have that destroy community. The person who loves, instead, the person who loves the people around them will create community everywhere they go. A Christian community should do as Jesus did, propose and not impose. Its extraction must lie in the radiance cast by the love of brothers and sisters. It should propose but never impose. And that leads me down to uh, looking at Paul's letter to Ephesians that he gives us four ingredients. What is the Christian community actually look like? We spend about a couple of months running through the book of Ephesians. And as you know, Ephesians is nicely divided into two sections, one to three and four to six. One to three is all about doctrine. Four to six is duty. One to three is about believe, what we believe in. And four to six is about behavior. One to three is about our position in Christ, position of the Christian. And then four to six is about the practice of the Christians. And then chapter one to three is about privileges of the Christians. Chapter four to six is about the responsibilities of the Christians. And so we come down to chapter four is emphasizing on the practical aspect, the duty, the behavior, the practice, the responsibilities of what a Christian is now that we know who we are in Christ. And so there are four characteristics that Paul spells out to us about what a compelling community needs to look at. So let me give to you four things. The very first thing is unity. <coughs> Verses 1 to 6, very clearly, Paul gives us that one of the first characteristics of a good, biblical, strong community is there must be unity. He said, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He said, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Church unity comes, begins from corporate humility. Church unity begins from corporate humility. And that is why Moses in Psalm 133, can say, or psalmist, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Be completely humble and gentle. 
be patient, bearing with one another in love. You look back in chapter 1 to 3, you'll know why. Because we're saved by grace and not by works. If you are saved by works, you can be arrogant, you can be proud. You can feel that you are above everybody else because it's by work that you are saved. Because of your righteous behavior, by your determination, you try to you know, live up to every standard that God has listed. You can be proud. In your workplace, you can be proud. If you think that it is because of your own effort, intelligence, and your ability, your network, and all that, that gets you where you are. But in terms of salvation, we can't do that because we are all saved by grace alone and not by work. And because of all that, we stand all on the same footing under the foot of the cross. And therefore, we need to be humble knowing that it is God's grace that we are saved. So be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. He said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Why? Because there's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Unity is paramount in a Christian community. And nothing puts people away from this unity, especially in a church where we preach so much about unity. But, of course, we are not suggesting that unity be sought at the expense of the gospel. Unity is not only virtue worth pursuing, but also truth. And that is why later on, Paul was able to say, speaking the truth in love. What a balance there is. So unity must not be sought at the expense of the gospel. Unity is not only the only virtues, but also peace. In fact, J.C. Rice said, unity without the gospel is a worthless unity. It is the very unity of hell. And of course, we need wisdom to discern what are the things that we should unite and what are the things that we should defer. Christianity means community through Jesus Christ. As Paul kept on emphasizing, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. John Stott said, The Christian community is a community of the cross, for it has been brought into being by the cross. And the focus of his worship is the Lamb who, who was once slain, now glorified. So the first ingredient of a Christian community is unity. But let me just say two things. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. Not everybody who wears white shirt means they are united. And secondly, unity doesn't mean there is no disagreement. The problem isn't that believers disagree, but that they remain disagreeable. So unity doesn't mean uh, uniformity. Unity doesn't mean there is no disagreement. They are bound to have disagreement. If there are no disagreement in the church, that means only one person is doing the thinking. If you have a committee that has no disagreement, that means only one person doing the thinking. Where there are minds that put together, they are going to have differing views. But it's good. It's helped to sharpen to make a better corporate decision. 
So disagreement are good because they help to sharpen the decision-making process. So unity is the first ingredient. The second one is diversity. Diversity. Paul went on to say that while we are one in Christ, but we are different, we are diverse. And that is what verse 7 to 11 says. 7, 10 and 11 in some sense, because verses 8 and 9 uh, is almost like a, what they call parenthesis. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. Basically, it's just saying that when Christ, central thought is that when the giver of the gifts is the ascended Christ. When Christ ascending to heaven, that's where he sends down the Holy Spirit and he sends down and gives us gifts so as to function in the church. There were no such gifts before he went to heaven. So when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gives gifts to his people. And then verse 9 is, is like, Paul is like, you know, you know how we, this called, that's why I say it's called parenthesis in a sense, when you're arguing something and then you said something and then you have to explain that something and then you come back to your own point again. So he said, when, what does he ascend? Because he mentioned he ascended and then he went on to say, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? And he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. What a beautiful things that God has given to us, and that is diversity. How boring can life be if everybody has the same gift? How boring life can be if everybody has the same interests and hobbies and all that. But God gives us diversity. It's beautiful to be different in a sense. And God is able to give some more gifts. Ten talents, some five talents, some one talent. God gives each one of us gifts. Something that we can use to contribute to the body of Christ. Here just only listed down the five apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers in Romans and Corinthians and elsewhere. Paul went on to list out many other different types of gifts that we can use to serve God. And I forever thank God for that. So you are, so no one belongs here more than you. No one belongs here more than you. You belong here. It doesn't matter how old you are, what age group you are. It doesn't matter what gifts you have. You belong here. You are part of the body of Christ. You may have terrible past, dark past. Who doesn't? It's okay. Come to Christ. Give your heart to Jesus. God can transform that and use it for His glory. As they always say, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Someone say this, Abraham, in the Bible, he was old. 
Elijah, he was suicidal. Joseph, he was abused. Job went bankrupt. Moses had a speech problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Samaritan women divorced five times. Noah was a drunk. Jeremiah was young. Jacob was a cheater. David was a murderer. Jonah ran away from God. Naomi was a widow. Peter denied Christ three times. Martha, is a, she's a warrior. Zacchaeus was small and money-hungry. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Paul was a Pharisee who persecuted Christians before becoming warned. That is all in the Bible. And I haven't listed out your lives and my life yet. No one belongs here more than you. I think Bonhoeffer is right. Community starts when you put aside all this kind of vision that you have, what a community should be like, and say, what is there? Community can start when we say, what is there? That God has given to you and me. Courage starts with showing up and letting ourselves be sinned. And of course, those who have a strong sense of love and belonging tend to have the courage to be imperfect. So once I hope that this community knows that you are accepted, you are loved, you then can have the courage to be imperfect. We don't always need to put on the mask all the time and pretend that we are perfect when we aren't. When you unmask your shirt, you are all scars all over your bodies and lives. That makes part of the contribution to a good community. And here, Paul is saying a community, not just only unity is there, but diversity. Recognizing that all of us are different, all of us can contribute. No matter what little that we have, we can contribute. What is most important is that you don't compare. You just need to contribute what God has given to you. Don't compare and don't judge another person's contribution. At the end of the day, we are all each accountable to God. Just use whatever gifts that God has given to you for His glory. Thirdly, is ministry. God given us this unity, this diversity of different gifts so that we can use all these gifts to serve God. Here in this Paul is saying that this five function is to equip his people for what? For works of service. God gives us gifts so that we can all use it for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Whether you are able to teach, whether you are able to uh, lead Bible study, whether you are able to serve in other capacity using your your skill as a, as a professional and contribute to the church, you can use it for the glory of God, to equip His people for works of service 
so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And so, my dear friends, offer yourself to the Lord's service. Offer your service to the Lord. Use your gifts. If there's not, whether it's teaching English, whether you are more people person, that you want to spend time with people, leading them slowly to the Lord, or whether it's more of your skill base that you can use, whether it's the, the power-up or the sound system or, or helping out in various things in the church, we always need help. So offer yourself for the Lord's service. And when you know that it is the Lord that you are serving, don't shrink back. I don't know why people don't want to give of their life to serve the Lord in small little ways that God has given you skills. Use it for the Lord, whether it's Sunday school, whether it's youth group, whether it's any ministry in the church, or whether it's just growing up your sleeve to help with the working bee or whatever. Use it for the Lord. Invest in eternity. Invest in eternity. Don't always talk about eternity. Invest in eternity. Invest in eternity. Don't just only say that you're going to see Jesus. Use your gifts to serve Him while you are here on earth. Whatever gifts that God has given to you, small little way, do it in the name of Jesus. Then you are serving the Lord. Didn't Jesus say that even you give a cold cup of water to a stranger, you will not lose your reward. Invest in eternity. Don't just only invest in your retirement. Use your gifts to serve the Lord. Apportion time to give of yourself to serve the Lord. Don't just only give yourself to the world. Give yourself to the Lord. Give time to serve the Lord. And then lastly, not just only unity, diversity, ministry, comparing community is moving you towards maturity. You have to grow towards maturity. Paul says, say, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then here he went on to expound on this part of it is, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. And from Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the ultimate goal as we run this race is that so that as believers we will grow, we will become mature. You know, a real sign of spiritual maturity is looking to God for purpose and perspective instead of just comfort and convenience. Anything that happened to you, if you can ask God for perspective, 
That means you are moving down the pathway of maturity. Because you are looking beyond your convenience and comfort. You are looking for perspective. Lord, give me perspective. Why am I going through this? That is always a sign of maturity. You know, <coughs> you know we live in a skin-deep world. <coughs> Our culture glorifies clothing, fashion, makeup, and nose jobs. I mean, there is nothing wrong with any sense of this, but in the end, they are only cosmetic. You know, character and substance are shaped in the crucible of adversity. Rick Warren says that God used circumstances to help you to grow more than you read your Bible. Reading the Bible will make you grow as much as circumstances and trials of life. Show me someone who lives a carefree life with no problems or trials or dark nights of the soul, and I'll show you a shallow person. And then unless there is a pain in the formula, we will never stop to listen carefully what God is saying. We'll be moving happily along, thinking we are going somewhere, but in reality, we're just spinning our wheels. We're not making any progress at all towards the deeper things God longs to show us. And sometimes he must allow us to stumble along the everyday journey. We are wounded and we are filled with pain, yet our disaster is just the opposite of what it seems. It's the demonstration of God's tough love, his determination to teach us and to make us wiser and to make us stronger. Teresa of Avila says, I would willingly endure all the sufferings of this world to possess the smallest increase of the knowledge of God's greatness. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the Russian novelist who was sent into a prison because of uh, his writing against the gulag of the Russian Empire. And towards the end of his confinement in prison, you know what he said? He said, bless you, prison, for having in my life so that I can gain certain wonderful, godly Christian perspective. Bless you, prison. It is because of this imprisonment that I are able to see. And here, Paul says, speaking the truth in love, maturity, the equip, to help us to grow, circumstances, pain, trials, speaking the truth in love. He, he held up almost the, the highest form of maturity that you are able to speak the truth in love. Not just speak the truth, not just speak in love, but speaking the truth in love. Why? Because both intellectually and emotionally you're mature in order to do that. And here we must pursue a perfect balance of spiritual mix of truth and love. Know the truth and hold it with love. And John was always committed to truth. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that, but it is not enough. You know, zeal for truth must be balanced by love for people. Truth without love has no decency. It's just brutality. On the other hand, love without truth has no character. It's just hypocrisy. There are plenty of people today who are heavy on one or the other. Some are heavy on the love side. In some sense, they can be quite ignorant. Very often, they are deceived because the truth is missing. And what they are left with is an error of shallowness, often clothed in tolerant sentimentality. 
that's a poor substitute for genuine love. Sometimes the most compassionate way, sometimes the most, that you show the most compassion when you say no. But on the other hand, there are the orthodox who have all of their theological ducks in a row and who know doctrine but are unloving and self-exalting. They are left with truth as cold facts, stifling and absolutely unattractive. And so here Paul gives this highest form of maturity that you can exhibit in life and that is you are able to have the ability to speak because in order to speak the truth, you know the truth. And in order to speak in love is that you have been through lives in the sense of circumstances. God has mowed and shaped you to be of certain level of ability to understand humans' struggles and humans' pain and all that. And you are able to be able to balance speaking the truth in love. And manifesting both truth and love is only possible to the mature believer who has grown into the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And the only way that you can define spiritual maturity is with these two. One who knows the truth and speaks it in love. To know the truth as God has revealed it and to love as Christ loves. And that's the framework that defines the gospel of John in some sense, in not just only John's gospel, but also the letters of John, truth and love, light and darkness, that is throughout his theme. And finally, let me just close. I think the person that exhibits what a true and complete human being is like is Jesus Christ. Once when I was a Bible college uh, student, I remember one, uh, one of my lecturers in this chapel uh, talk about this phrase that we often use, oh, we are only human, therefore we make mistakes. Um, and the, the, the lecturer says, no, 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 you're wrong. You should say we are not human enough. Because Jesus is a complete, full, truly human being. And all of us are not human enough in a sense. Therefore, we are fallen. So Jesus, in some sense, shows us what a true human being is supposed to be like. And all of us fall short of what it means to be a human in a sense. And Timothy Keller says this about Jesus. He said, they are the surprises of perfection. He combines virtues never seen together, tenderness without weakness, strength without harshness, humility without the slightest lack of confidence, holiness with unbending conviction without lack of approachability, power without insensitivity, passion without prejudice, the harshest judgment on the self-satisfied and yet the most winsome kindness to the broken-hearted and the marginal. Never inconsistent. Never a false step. And that is the maturity that we are asked to work towards attaining in the body of Christ. With the community of unity, diversity, rolling up our sleeve, using our gifts to serve, and together, we, cr 
we grow. And here in the last final verse, in the, here it said, from the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I pray that our community will be that. Our community will be reflected in, in being united and loving the diversity that we have, loving the people that God has placed in our midst. And community can start from there. And using whatever gifts that God has given to us in ministry, invest in eternity, and then growing together towards maturity. And as a community, we then can be a very powerful community to show to the world what really community should be like. Father, forgive us for the disunity of your church and the brokenness of Christ's body. Forgive us for the way we allow our words and deeds to destroy hope and diminish other people's lives. Forgive us for our selfish, arrogant criticism of others and our failure to be the meek of the earth. Forgive us that too often we reflect the attitudes and values of a world that has turned its back on its maker and not those of the kingdom of God. Forgive us that we break what was meant to be whole and hinder everything that would bring healing and trust. Forgive us, renew us, and make us vessels of grace to a broken and hurting world that is tired of just words. but to be seen in a community living out to it. Dear Lord, renew us, heal us, make us vessel of your grace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We pray for your blessing on this church. As we sing our song again today, may we be united in Jesus' name.